is here. Uh, our three children, Sophie, Moses, and Amos, are here with us as well. Uh, we are privileged to be here this morning. Uh, we wanted to share our mission with you just a little bit so that uh, you can be praying for us. We did bring some prayer cards, so if that's something that you're interested in, we've got little magnets too, uh, if you'd like to take one of those home and pray for us, especially over this next year. Uh, we are moving to Thailand uh, this summer. We just bought our plane tickets on the way here, actually. Uh, there was a really good deal, and uh, they were about half of what they were last week, and we decided we're not going to wait any longer. So uh, June 19th, I think, is the, the flight date. So be praying for us. Uh, be praying for us uh, housing-wise. We don't know exactly where we're going to stay in Bangkok while we're getting language school, um, but we hope that it's going to be nice, at least <laughs> safe. Um, and then be praying also for childcare for our children while we're taking language school together that they would be able to be uh, taken care of. Um, and then pray for the school. So, so Amy taught at an international school in Thailand for two years before we were married. Uh, that international school is maxed out to capacity. They want to do uh, more mission work. Um, so there's enough funds in that school to actually start a sister school in northern Thailand which is one of the fastest growing regions in Thailand, and it's as unreached as the rest of Thailand, which is 99% Buddhist and less than a percent of Christian. So uh, be praying for Thailand and uh, for this mission. It's, it's a great way to help missionary families come in and stay long-term, which is our heartbeat. We love the idea of missionary uh, church planners. We think that's uh, the goal of Christ's church, uh, to spread his Christianity through local churches, um, so we want to be a help to local churches there. And uh, in a sense, we're going to be tent makers, like Pastor Steve said, that we'll be uh, really making money from the school. So the support we're raising is just to get us through uh, this language classes so that we can uh, plug in full-time into uh, the school. But then on the weekends and uh, during the summers, we would have time to be in the Thai culture, in the Thai community, um, and in a Thai local church. So uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, because we bought our tickets, we're committed, I guess, so we don't get that money back, the non-refundable. Uh, we're going one way or another, um, but, but God has already provided so much. We're so thankful. Our church in uh, Stillman Valley is very sad to see us go, um, and we're very sad to go. It's kind of an odd uh, relationship that we love being there. I love my job there. We love the church. We don't really want to go, um, but we believe this is what God's calling us to do, and we, we can do it. We have the opportunity to pick up our family and move them across the world and really raise children in a third culture and pray that God would use them to preach the gospel to Thai in a way that we could never do so because we just didn't grow up there. So thank you for your prayers, and please continue uh, to pray for us. I'm very thankful to be here at Rock Valley Bible. Your church has been... Uh, a light for us in what good community is in a local church, what prayer is and should be the vital cornerstone to, to the body. So thank you for your encouragement and uh, for many, many hours that Pastor Steve has spent with me. I always try to steal his time as much as possible. So thank you for, uh, for your pastor as well. If you have your Bibles, or as I know that you have your Bibles, Isaiah 40 is where we are today. Isaiah chapter 40. And no matter where you are in life this morning, um, you're going to be facing some level of difficulty, whether you're a parent that's facing the challenge of raising your children, 
or you're a teenager who's struggling to fit in, or maybe you're a senior saint who's just battling physical struggles. None of us would mind if our kids were just a little bit more obedient, or we had a few more good friends, or our joints weren't creaking every time we stood up. Sometimes we just feel exhausted, and we just want to give up. Sometimes we just feel like we have nothing left to give. I hope you'll be encouraged with the words from Isaiah chapter 40, almost at the end of the chapter, verse 30 and 31. God speaks this promise to his people. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, out of context, these words may give you a nice, warm feeling. You may even have them on your wall at home with a picture of a nice eagle. Waiting for the Lord, you will have boundless energy, as if you're floating on the eagle's wings on the air and sprinting mile after mile after mile without growing tired. But I think if we put the words in their context, we'll be even more deeply encouraged as believers Now, we observe that those who have their strength renewed do something. Do you see what it is in verse 31? Those who have their strength renewed are waiting for the Lord. But what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for the Lord to do? Now, if we were to go back to Isaiah chapter 38, we would run into King Hezekiah king of Judah, the lower portion of Israel. And Hebrew history records him as a king who followed God. This king gets very sick. Isaiah comes to him and says, you will die. And King Hezekiah begs and pleads with bitter weeping that God would spare his life. And God answers his prayers and gives him 15 more years of life. But then Isaiah 39 something else happens. Let's read Isaiah 39 together. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sends envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They were from a far country, from Babylon, he said. What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts, 
Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my day. Think about how horrible this news is for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God had always protected them. He had He had just defeated the mighty army of Assyria that had surrounded Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. And God slaughtered them all and saved King Hezekiah. But you get the sense that King Hezekiah is just sick of fighting. He's just sick of this whole goodness of begging God, and and he says the word of the Lord is good. His reaction's in stark contrast to when the Assyrians were surrounding Jerusalem, stark contrast to when he was sick, where he's on his knees begging with bitter weeping for deliverance. Here he just throws his hands up and says, it's good. You see, the leaders of Israel Even the great kings of Israel cannot save Israel. So if you were an Israelite, you heard this news, what would you need? Look at the first two words of chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God promises comfort. Your leaders will fail you, but take comfort. After you've been punished for your sins, you will receive comfort from the Lord. The Lord will deliver you. But he doesn't stop at deliverance. That would be good news, but he gives even better news. He's about to give one of the biggest promises in the Old Testament right here at the beginning of chapter 40. Look at verse 3. A voice cries. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And look at this the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. The King is coming, the King that can save you is coming. And the Lord will be unstoppable. There is no earth in his way that can stop him. His coming, no mountain or valley that can slow his charge. When he comes, all flesh will see the glory of the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Seeing the glory of the Lord is not something humans do. 
You remember Moses saw the back of the Lord's train and his face glowed. We don't see the glory of the Lord. And and realize that, that seeing the glory of the Lord is not some observation on a television screen where there's some distance and you're kind of watching it as an observer. This seeing is participating in the glory of God. You're fellowshipping with God himself. God himself promises the fullness of his personal presence to his people. What? He, we are sinners, separated from a holy, infinitely powerful, all-wise, almighty God, and we are going to fellowship with this God. This is too good to be true. It's too unfathomable that an almighty creator would fellowship with his rebellious creation. But, look at the end of verse 5. If you don't believe this, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will participate in it together for the mouth of of the Lord has spoken. You see, God has made an incredible promise to restore the glorious relationship He has with His people. Is this for real? Will God really fix the earth so that His glory can dwell with us? How good is His Word? Because someone's Word is only as good as their character and their power to fulfill it. If someone walked in today and said, everybody in here gets a new car, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? That'd be great. Yeah! And the rest of us would be like, yeah, right. We're not buying it. Because we understand that 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 promise is only as good as the character and the power of someone to deliver on that promise. And for that to happen, it's just impossible. For an infinitely holy God to dwell with man is infinitely more impossible than everyone in here getting a new car. But God has said it. And how good is God's power and God's word. Look at verse 6. What is God like? A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How long will the word of our God stand? Forever. How long will the word of our God stand? Forever. Look at verse 12. Who has marked out the waters in the hollow of his hand? All the oceans in the palm of his hand. He has marked off the heavens with a span 
and clothes the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. He is massive in might. From coast to coast, it's about that far, says God. The seas are about that much. The nations, ah, about, about that much. All the nations of the earth. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or who, what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who's God's teacher? No one. He is infinitely wise. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and they are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Ha! A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for its silver chains. And he is too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know, verse 21, do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood it from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Seventy billion trillion stars and every one of them named by God. And he holds them in existence every moment. Every nation, just like dust on a scale to God. You see, this is the God that promises to dwell with his people. And if his promise is as good as his character and power, we can be confident that this glorious God is glorious enough to fulfill his promise. This God is not like the grass that withers in the heat of the day. This God endures forever. This God doesn't have to worry about unexpected circumstances coming into his life because he ordains and sustains it all. He's infinitely powerful. He's personal. He's not like a clockmaker that wound up this world and set it on a shelf. He sustains by the word of his power. He's not fickle or random. He knows exactly what he's doing. Every moment, everywhere in the universe, in everyone's life. 
And this makes the promise even more spectacular because not only can we be confident that God is able to gloriously fulfill His promise, think about what He's promised. To live with us, to fellowship with us forever. It is His desire to be close to you. Us, sinners. And rather than enslaving us or oppressing us or smushing us when we sin, look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint God's not promising some energy drink here, a little boost to get you through the day. He's promising redemption, eternal life. We're not sprouting wings out our backs, but we will be given new bodies to live with God in His glorious kingdom forever. Eternal life, living water, that quenches the thirsty soul. Eternal strength that rejuvenates the joints and resolves your relationships. Who is this promise to? Those who... Do you see it at the beginning of 31? This promise is for those who wait for the Lord. Waiting is not sitting on your park bench hoping the sun will rise and up, there it is. Okay, it's not sitting down at a restaurant and waiting for your food. Okay, envision an engaged couple as they wait for their wedding day. They're not kind of ho-humming, maybe it's going to come, maybe it's not, we've set the date. They're actively preparing They've got the dress, and they've got the guest list, and they've got the caterer, and they've got the tux. They've got the rings, and everything has to be in order for that day. This is the kind of waiting. It's eager anticipation. We've got our eyes fixed on that day, and pretty much everything else that we're doing is all for that one event. Yeah, we're we're still living our life. We're still going about it, but everything is Focused on that one event. And for Christians, that event is the coming of the Lord. You see, they know they're not ready yet. They have to prepare for that day. Now, you may be familiar with the story from 1930, uh, Waddy Piper, the little engine that could. You read this before? Yeah, so this little engine that could, 
uh, there's a whole bunch of toys that want to get over the mountain to be delivered to all the good boys and girls. But their train breaks down. And so they're all on the side of the tracks trying to flag down other trains to get them over the hill to the, the, to the children. And the first train comes by, and he's way too proud. He only carries passengers. And the next strong train comes by, but he only carries coal. But then this little blue engine comes by. And the toys wave him down and say, please, please help us get over the mountain. And the little train had never been over the mountain. But he agreed to try. And as he begins his trek, it is a difficult journey. And the chugging of his train is, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And the toys are chanting with him, we think you can, we think you can, we think you can, we think you can. And he makes it over the mountain and drops off the toys. And he comes back over the mountain and he says, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. But what kept him going? What got him through that hill over the mountain? He didn't want all those little boys and girls to be disappointed. And so he set himself chug after chug after chug after chug to determine that he was going to keep going. I I don't know what's going to happen way down the road, but I can take this next step. Now for Christians, we've got lots of hills and mountains in our life and we need, in a sense, this Christian chugging. And what I recommend to us is to say, come Lord Jesus, 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 come Lord Jesus. And when the trials of life are oppressing you and the weight is getting you down and you don't think you're going to make it, wait for the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. And when your relationships are pinching you to the point of of pulling your hair out and it's affecting your eating habits and your sleeping habits and you just don't know what to do, come, Lord Jesus. And as we just go through all of the trials of life, We have to fix our eyes on the skies and pray, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. You see, for Christians, the Holy Spirit energizes and sustains you through your faith in the gospel, in this good news that God is coming back. That's where the source of your energy comes from. The Holy Spirit energizes you through faith. The I think I can is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I don't see him right now, but I fix my gaze on his promise. And he's big enough and he's loving enough to do it. So I can bank everything I'm doing on that one event that Jesus is coming back. But all those people in Isaiah who were waiting and waiting, and waiting, they died. They died without seeing the glory of the Lord revealed in flesh. But Isaiah, several hundred years later, promised that a young woman would be given a message 
and this virgin would conceive and bear a son, and they, she would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The glory of God is dwelling with us. And Jesus lived that perfect life that we couldn't live, died in our place, and rose again from the dead so that all who believe and turn to Jesus are forgiven. And before he left this earth, he promised us again, what? I haven't forgotten about this promise. This is step one. I had to come and die in your place. Step two is, I'm coming back. And I'm going to remake this world. And it is going to be perfect and beautiful. And all of those sinners will get their due. And all of those righteous will get their due. And we say, we're sinners And he says, I'll take it for you. I'll take the punishment for you. And so we Christians are are fixated on that day, the promise that Jesus will come back for us, that he has promised us one day to come back. So I want to talk about, in 1 Peter, how this connects to Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll see the intersection of the gospel in the New Testament with the faith of these Old Testament saints. Salvation has always been by faith. Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, all saved by faith. If we look at 1 Peter 1, we see the connection between this gospel and Isaiah. Verse 13, just the context of First Peter is, is writing to all of these Christians who are being persecuted and suffering and enduring trials. And, and Peter says, prepare your minds for action, verse 13. Don't be docile, okay? be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does that sound anything like those who wait for the Lord? Set your mind on this hope that he will fulfill his promise. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He says, be holy, believers. Be set apart. Set apart from sin. Set apart from the evil of this world. Put away selfishness and greed. Put away envy and bitterness. Put away lust and idolatry and eagerly wait for Christ to come. Because when he comes, there's only going to be two groups of people. Those who want to be close to God and have turned away from sin. And those who haven't turned away from sin. And who've chosen to be separated from God forever. God doesn't save people who don't ask to be saved. Who don't want to be saved. He gives faith to his elect. But he gives us his true gospel. He's fulfilled his promise. He's too glorious to fail. He's too faithful to break his promises. So how do we... Sinful, broken people obey him. How do we be holy? 
as he's holy? How do we wait for him? Look at how Peter describes the people of God in verse 23. He says, live this way, purify yourself this way, since, verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord will remain, how long? Forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The news that energizes you and makes you alive, that gives you this life to chug through life, assured that Jesus is coming back. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. See these metaphors of effortlessly effortlessly soaring, of tirelessly running, They're looking forward to that day, that day when God fixes everything. So when you fail, when you sin, when you grow cold to the things of God, and you just don't feel close to him, come, Lord Jesus. And when you look up and you see this messed up world that can't decide who to help and who to slaughter in the womb, you say, come, Lord Jesus. And when you wonder how, God, how can you stand by and watch the wicked prosper while the powerful oppress the weak? How, God, can you stand by and let this happen? Are you watching? Will you ever be this promised kingdom that you've promised us? We pray, come, Lord Jesus. Because if you're really wondering, would God save a sinner like me? You think, oh yeah, God's not like the grass. He doesn't wither under the pressure of life. His word endures forever. He's given us the good news that God, the holy creator, so loved humanity that to reconcile us to himself sent his only son to live the perfect life we could not live, to die in our place, the death we deserved, and to rise again from the dead so that all who turn to him and believe in Jesus are forgiven and live as his children forever. So let's wrap this all up. Okay, we look at Isaiah's illustrations. King Hezekiah, a weak leader, unlike God God offers hope to those who wait for him. He says, wait for me because I've got a really impressive resume and I will fulfill my promise. Wait eagerly. Prepare every day by living holy lives separate from sin. Now, it could be today. Are you waiting for him to come like an expectant bride 
getting things in order for that day? Do you believe so firmly that God will provide for you today that you tithe faithfully and sacrificially? Do you believe so firmly in God's sovereignty and his goodness that you encourage your children to consider global missions? Do you affirm God's love so deeply that you're able to forgive those that have wronged you? And look around at this world and know that God will make things right. You see, this is gospel-centered living. All the perspectives of life, of everything around you and everything within you is with the idea that Christ is going to fulfill his promise. He is coming soon. So I don't, I don't know what your life is like. Everybody has struggles, but I know this. That if you feel overwhelmed and you feel like the responsibilities of life are just piling up, look to God. He is not like the grass of the field. When he promises to restore a perfect world, he will do it. And this is the thing that empowers you to keep moving on in life. This is your gospel hope. You need something more than just a community of friends. You need something more than a nice car and a nice house. You need something more than a comfortable life. You need a focus on the coming of the Lord. You need to long eagerly for his kingdom. And so every obstacle, every pain should point you back to your goal. So here's my encouragement for you today. That when you pray, as much as possible, remember the template of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Pray that God would come back. When you pray for your breakfast cereal, pray that Jesus would come back. Don't let your life's goals stop you. Okay? Don't let the busyness of life stop you from focusing on what's really important. See, the gospel energizes us to eagerly wait for Jesus to come. Let's ask him to come back even right now, would you? Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would return even now. Come back now, Lord Jesus. Some of us feel like Hezekiah where we just feel like we've thrown in the towel We've given up on some things. And, and God, some of us have become complacent that we just don't pray like we used to. We don't give like we used to. We don't fellowship like we used to. We don't pursue holiness like we used to. Or maybe some of us have just never really even considered how vital this focus of life is that you are coming back, that we need you to energize us to make it over the mountains of life by our faith and our prayers that you are coming. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Establish your kingdom. And until then, keep us faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.